We've got another exclusive for you this week. We talk with friend of Taiwan, Slovakia, Vakimi P. Ivan Stefanitz about why Slovakia has sent a groundbreaking 43-member delegation to Taiwan. EU-China expert Zhu Jaferenci tells us about the EU's latest move to counter China's economic coercion of Lithuania for embracing Taiwan. Emma Banak takes you to an exhibit highlighting the challenges women face in today's society. Finally, in Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie Liao dives into the world of NFTs in Taiwan. This is Taiwan Insider. is hosting a large economic delegation from Slovakia this week. Let's take a look. It's an unusual but very welcome sight. Slovakian and Taiwanese officials mingle together in a room. A 43-person delegation from Slovakia is visiting Taiwan. Among them are 18 senior officials and 25 business people. They're here to discuss how to strengthen ties between the two countries. Leading the Slovakian group is the country's deputy economic minister, Karol Gaelic. That's monumental because it's the highest level visit from Slovakia since the country opened a representative office in Taiwan in 2003. On Tuesday, the delegation met with Taiwanese officials to discuss investment opportunities. Slovakian Foreign Ministry official Lucia Kish said her country was committed to working together with Taiwan. We are here today, despite the pandemic, is because we're determined and committed to work together with Taiwan. This means focusing on concrete joint projects, investment that bring added value and benefit us both. Meanwhile, Gaelic said Slovakia supports Taiwan. And support. And would like to say that Slovakia is ready to become an equal partner. And not only in good, but also in hard times as the current pandemic situation is. Slovakia supports Taiwan. On the Taiwan side, head of the National Development Council, Gong Mingxin, who just visited Slovakia in October, said continued mutual visits will propagate what he called a virtuous cycle. Gong added that Taiwan had invested over 500 million euros in Slovakia, creating 3,000 jobs there. Prior to this Slovakian visit, parliamentarians from the Baltic states Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia were in Taiwan for a parliamentary forum. With such diplomatic successes, one can't help but wonder which EU country will be next to strike a deal with Taiwan. This is a landmark delegation, but not the first one from Slovakia. Slovakia member of European Parliament, Ivan Stefanitz, led a parliamentary delegation here in 2011 as the chair of the parliament's Taiwan Friendship Group. He's been playing a big role in building Taiwan-Slovakia ties. Now, I asked him why Slovakia sent such a high-profile delegation to Taiwan this week. So, thank you very much for your kind invitation. First of all, I'm really very pleased to talk to you. I'm very proud of our relationship with uh, Taiwan. And uh, recently, your foreign minister, Mr. Joseph Wu, visited Taiwan with a really strong delegation, signing uh, seven uh, memorandum of understanding trying to enhance our great cooperation. Taiwan is one of the most important investors in my country. We would like to enhance this great cooperation. Therefore, uh, based on my knowledge, it's first time when 
official governmental plane from EU country landed to Taiwan. So I'm very proud of that. And the reason is to improve cooperation also in uh, terms of industry, science park, in, in supply chain. So we are a very industrial country. We see a lot of potential. We can learn from each other. And I think uh, the official state visit now, it is uh, the best evidence that there is a serious, uh, a serious attempt from our country to improve even this cooperation. Well, that's wonderful. We're very happy about the strengthening of ties. Now, with this elevation of official visits, is Slovakia concerned that China may retaliate against your country? Uh, yes, it's a matter of fact that uh, China protests all the time. I remember when I uh, was visiting your beautiful country, when I even when I proposed uh, uh, at the time in the national parliament as uh, first country uh, from Schengen, uh, Schengen area that uh, we should have a visa-free regime. I mean, succeeded. So even at that time, China protested. Now China protests as well. But this is just the diplomatic manner. Uh, so we have to go on. Now I'm uh, based in Brussels in the European Parliament, and um, we try to improve also our relationship from a um, European point of view. I have to say that Never ever before was in the European Parliament such a good atmosphere, a pro-Taiwanese atmosphere. And uh, the evidence is that recently also we adopted a very favorable uh, pro-Taiwanese uh, resolution asking European Commission to start bilateral investment agreement. I think it's uh, really time to start uh, also uh, uh, this uh, negotiation because there is a lot of potential and democracies should cooperate. We should support Taiwan and not China. I'm not saying that we should uh, we should ignore China. We have to uh, also uh, develop economical relations with all the partners. But uh, in terms of value-based uh, uh, relations, we, we share the same values. Therefore, I see much more potential uh, enhancing relationship with countries like Taiwan. You know. China lost uh, a little bit credibility with uh, coronavirus mm -hmm. uh, in the European Union and therefore more and more people are aware of the fact that we have to cooperate with, uh, with friends uh, who, are, who are really true friends, who don't hide information, who are able to help. So once again, based on my personal experience from European Parliament, I can assure you that you have a lot of friends uh, on the European level. So this is not only between Slovakia and uh, Taiwan, but this is really between European Union and Taiwan, this, uh, uh, I would say, big potential for, for next cooperation. Well, that's wonderful. And I know that you have been a friend of Taiwan for many years. You were head of the Slovakian and Taiwanese Chamber of Commerce and also the parliamentary group um, between, you know, for friendship between the two countries. What has attracted you to Taiwan? Well, I have also, I have to say, personal relationship to Taiwan because my daughter-in-law daughter is coming from Taiwan. Oh, so, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very close to Taiwan. I visit regularly your beautiful country. And if we cooperate uh, economically together, it is win-win. So uh, you have a lot of friends in Slovakia and in Europe, so be aware of that. Good luck, stay healthy.
It's great to speak with friends from Europe, and the whole interview will be up on YouTube and Facebook. Now, China has been blocking Lithuanian exports this week because of their engagement of Taiwan. And on Wednesday, Europe introduced an anti-coercion instrument to deal with this type of coercion from China. Now, I spoke with an EU-China expert, Zhuja Ferenczi, who is based here now in Taiwan as a guest lecturer at National Donghua University. She was a former political advisor for the EU Parliament. I asked her about this instrument. Weaponizing trade is something that all member states realize and recognize and agree that is something that needs to be addressed on a European level. Once this becomes law, it will equip the EU to protect itself and to become more resilient and to remain open. Because I think that's important that the EU's measures that we've seen take uh, in the past five, six years, these were measures to react to Chinese aggression or Chinese coercion. These measures are meant to ensure that the EU remains an open economy. I think this is an important point to highlight. Taiwan has been facing a lot of uh, military and political pressure from China. We do appreciate the support that the EU has been showing in recent months. Do you think that the EU will be willing to play a role in deterring China from intimidating Taiwan? I think the EU is already playing a role in trying to uh, send a signal that Taiwan is not alone. This was the message that mm. the delegation from the European Parliament passed on to the president uh, of Taiwan and also to the people of Taiwan to make it clear that Taiwan is not alone. Taiwan already has those friends in Europe who would be willing to step up their support in case there was a situation that required increased attention. I think at the moment, by placing Taiwan at the core of its Indo-Pacific strategy, I think it's also very indicative of how the European Union sees Taiwan. It sees Taiwan as a strategic, uh, of strategic value. The EU has not moved away from its One China policy, but what has changed is the willingness of member states to say that it is their right to cooperate with Taiwan. And this is in no violation of their One China policy. This is a big change, and this is tangible, this is real, and I think this is not something that we will be seeing reversed. And I don't think there's any readiness to reverse this, this emerging dynamic. Now, as Taiwan opens back up from the clutches of a recent COVID-19 outbreak, more and more events are taking place. Now, RTI's very own Emma Banak recently went to Taiwan's National Theater to check out an exhibit about gender roles and how they affect women. She's got the report for you right here. The National Theater and Concert Hall hosts a two-year residency program for distinguished artists. Harrison Kay and I met with one of the artists, Huang Yuqing, who used her art to delve into the Me Too movement and unspoken gender rules that frame everyday life. Huang is trying to lead this discussion through her exhibition called Two Rooms of One's Own. This idea was inspired by Virginia Woolf's book, A Room of One's Own, and how Huang deeply empathized with Woolf's descriptions of the trauma and pressures that many women face. Visitors can only access the key to the exhibit after they answer a question prompted by Woolf's book. If a woman needs to have her own money and room to be able to truly write, how much money does she need? The exhibit has two rooms. 
The first displays the more superficial values or areas where we see that women may already have everything they need, while the second room lets visitors experience the more hidden demands and pressures still unfairly placed on women. Stepping into the second room alone is meant to be an individual experience, so we'll leave that a surprise for exhibit visitors. Huang says that the Me Too movement can't encompass all of her exhibit's message. Besides the hidden abuse that so many women suffer, Huang also wants to look at how these women handle their personal feelings, and then manage to continue to grow and move past the pain. Huang hopes that everyone who comes to the exhibit can start to consider the way that gender affects our daily lives and the way we judge and respect others. Her exhibit, Two Rooms of One's Own, will be open at the National Theater until December 12th. Hi, I'm Emma and I'm filling in for Stash today. Next up, Leslie talks about what NFTs are and how they're showing up in Taiwan. This week, we're going to be talking about NFTs. NFT stands for Non-Fungible Token. In simple terms, fungible describes something that can be used interchangeably. NFTs are unique digital tokens with each NFT symbolizing ownership of a certain something. NFTs use the same technology as cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum. NFTs are most used in the trade of digital art. Very, 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 very simply, having an NFT for an artwork means you own that art. It's yours. At least, that's what crypto proponents advocate. But I just want to stress, I am simplifying NFTs cryptocurrency, blockchain technologies, by a whole lot. But the reason why we're talking about NFTs this week is because in past weeks, a lot of news stories have centered around NFTs and there's been a lot of online discussion about what they are, what they do, and what people do with them. So back in 2018, a naturalized Taiwanese citizen named Paul Farrell made the news when he went out one night drank and decided it was a good idea to get a tattoo of the word Taiwan on his forehead and then a Taiwan independence flag tattooed on his chin. Then on June 21st this year, he turned an image of himself with the tattoos into an NFT. People may be able to download the image, but in theory, the true owner is the person who has the NFT. Now, Farrell says he's gotten his tattoos removed, so he can't make any more pictures with himself of the tattoo, if that makes sense. Then, in November, a popular restaurant in northern Taiwan launched NFTs for pictures of their fried chicken, broccoli, squid, and other dishes. The price of the NFTs of the pictures of these foods started at 1 OSD, which is equivalent to 1 US dollar. When I browse the platform where these NFTs are being traded, I see these pictures of broccoli and fried chicken being bought and sold for as much as 50 US dollars. In fact, one NFT depicting chicken skin, which is you know, fried chicken skin, sold for 150 US dollars. Like someone paid that much money for a picture of fried chicken skin, which, you know, good for you, you have disposable income, Yay! I myself am trying to wrap my head around how NFTs might apply to my life and my existence and how it might impact my future, but that said, I'm not ready to dive headfirst into this trend just yet. And earlier this week, I saw a story on the Taiwanese social media platform Decard, which made me realize I'm not the only one. 
On the platform, an anonymous user says that her boyfriend has been trading NFTs. One day, her boyfriend told her that he was really happy because he purchased a really rare NFT, which was for a picture of cartoon monkeys. She asked how much it cost him and he said close to 100,000 New Taiwan dollars, which is about 3,600 US dollars. She asked him why he would pay that much for a picture of monkeys and he said it could be used for investment or as a status symbol. She expressed worry because the two of them planned on getting married next year. She admitted that he makes more than her but she didn't think that he made enough money to justify buying that NFT. She said she's pretty thrifty and that she saves money so that she can live a comfortable life. She said she's in a really difficult spot and asked users on Dcard for clarification on the significance of the NFTs and why her boyfriend would do such a thing. That is a really difficult spot to be in and I feel for her because I feel like my understanding of NFTs is closer to that of hers than her boyfriend's. But then again you have people leaving comments like the Singaporean singer Jarek who said, A hundred grand? Are you sure your boyfriend didn't get scammed? That NFT is worth way more than a hundred grand. Then Taiwanese singer Nine Chen left a comment saying, I'm sorry, but I've already spent 10 million New Taiwan dollars on NFTs. So I guess there are people out there who understand where this anonymous user's boyfriend is coming from. Now, I already lost out on the opportunity to make money during cryptocurrencies rise, but this new trend in NFTs is reminding me why I had apprehensions about cryptocurrencies in the first place. Hey, I like making money just as much as the next guy. But I'm so out of my depth here that I feel like one move in the wrong direction would be a huge mistake for me. And next up, here are some more stories that are on our radar. Taiwan's military says it plans to set up nine anti-ship missile systems at various points along Taiwan's coastline. The cost of the project is expected to hit 166.3 billion NT dollars, or 6 billion US dollars. But the military expects that it will strengthen Taiwan's defenses against any Chinese landing. Both of Taiwan's major parties are mounting a final push to get their supporters to vote in a December 18th referendum. On the ballot are four contentious questions. What should be the fate of Taiwan's fourth nuclear power plant? Should Taiwan reinstate a ban on imported pork containing the additive ractopamine? Should a natural gas terminal in Taoyuan be moved to protect an algae reef nearby? And should Taiwan go back to holding referendums like this one on the same day as elections? On December 18th, Taiwan's people will have their say. High priority groups can now receive a third dose of one of the available COVID-19 vaccines. Frontline medical workers will be the first to receive their jabs. Meanwhile, authorities are trying out all kinds of creative measures to get the rest of Taiwan's population jabbed. Currently, first dose coverage in Taiwan is around 80%, but second dose numbers are lagging behind. To improve them, the central authorities are setting up vaccination stations at markets and department stores, as well as offering prizes to those getting vaccinated. And we're back in the studio, just like that. Uh, usually during this part of the show, we show you guys a word of the week about a certain question, but because of what I talked about in Hashtag, I want to pose to my co-hosts, uh, what would you make an NFT out of? Now, I'm hoping that my segment explained to you uh, sufficiently well what an NFT was. Well, I chose a picture of Yushan Jade Mountain at sunrise because that's a place I've been dying to go to for so long. It seems like such a valuable site to me. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, Natalie, what would you choose? Okay, this was a really no-brainer for me. My cat. Oh, Isn't that yeah. adorable? Uh, for me, I'm going to offer up this NFT without any context. Uh, 
And I'm sure you guys are confused as to why I chose that video <laughs> of me eating, but it's got a bit of intrinsic uh, value to me. It was the first time I went out for an extended report on RTI's behalf, and oh. during our downtime, the cameraman shall by. He took a video of me eating, slowed it down, added some background music, and I thought it was just a fun and whimsical video that I could share with everybody in NFT form. Memorable. Anyway, uh, that's about all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Leslie Leo. I'm Emma Banak. And I'm Natalie So. And do follow us on social media, subscribe, and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, uh, and there's tons of content on all of those platforms. Anyway, guys, until next week, we'll see you around. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Lithuania is standing up for Taiwan in a big way by welcoming a Taiwanese representative office and continuing to engage Taiwan despite economic and diplomatic sanctions from Beijing. A group of Lithuanian parliamentarians came to Taiwan last week and I spoke with prominent Lithuanian member of parliament Dovile Shakaliene. She is one of 10 European officials sanctioned by Beijing for her stand against human rights abuses in China. Join me as I talk with her. She tells me first what kind of role she thinks Lithuania is playing in helping Taiwan gain international support. In my opinion, uh, Lithuania may be one of your friends that is helping to build a bigger coalition. We are not naive, we understand. <laughs> we are a very small country, but today, delegation of three Baltic countries together is visiting Taiwan, and as well, uh, your minister has visited Czech Republic and other European countries, and also IPAC. I am a chair of IPAC, Interparliamentary Alliance on China, and we unite over two dozen democratic countries all over the world from Canada to United States to United Kingdom to Australia and to smaller European countries. And yes, we know we're small, but also European Union is, you know, our family that also protects us. And European Parliament passed resolution also saying very clearly that they support Lithuanians, uh, what Lithuania is doing regarding Taiwan. So I feel that, you know, it's broader and broader consensus. It's not like we are, you know, this really small bird, which is jumping in front of a cat and frustrating the cat. <laughs> no, we are just saying there are certain red lines in democracy too, which should not be overstepped. And we are just trying to keep the global security and the calm of international standards, the level of international standards um, stable. Sorry, I'm a, not a native speaker. Oh, so your English is beautiful. <laughs> well, it's been obvious that you know the EU, even the US, um, are standing with you as you stand with Taiwan, and that you are having an impact. Um, at least we feel that the EU has been engaging Taiwan more with the recent reports that you mentioned. We had a visit from members of European Parliament recently. So, how do you think um, you know your proactive engagement with Taiwan will affect other European countries and their relationship with Taiwan? So I think it would be a twofold effect. Uh, one uh, important aspect is that if we become a success story, so that you know our relationship with Taiwan uh, develops successfully in all uh, dimensions, like a multi-dimensional success, meaning uh, economic relations, 
science and education and also sharing uh, some issues regarding security, for example, cybersecurity. We had a very interesting meeting yesterday with some of your experts uh, regarding um, uh, disinformation and cyber attacks because Lithuania and Taiwan both suffer from really increasing number of these organized attacks and we could share practices and you have wonderful technological decisions that we are very eager also to learn and to use. So that would be a kind of an instigation, a motivation for other countries that Taiwan has so much to give mm. and that we could exchange. Oh, and for that I might add pandemic really has uh, had an impact globally also uh, on supply chains, on some geopolitical shifts. And when we see, you know, that a short-term gain from autocratic regimes is not worth it because when they change their legal regulation, for example, like PRC change their national security law, and then they can seize the assets of foreign companies, they can freeze their assets, they can deport employees and etc. That means that for businesses it's not secure. So it's better to build the ring of democratic countries because mm. these relations are more sustainable as they are more stable, predictable and based on rule of law. So that's one aspect. But another aspect, will we be able to stand united in the face of threats? You saw what PRC has done to Australia and to Lithuania and still continues to do that. So will the democratic world stand together to protect their family members? And that will answer the question. Is the democratic world able to withstand People's Republic of China and to avoid conflict and to agree that we all have our right to make our decisions without hurting anyone? I think that's the most important. Nobody wants war, but for holding the peace, we have to agree that international standards must hold. Well, I'm sure that democracies are waking up to the coercive efforts of China. Right. In, in oh, many ways, I've, I've talked to many um, European parliamentarians and, and they say that Europe is gradually waking up to that. Do you think that they, there will be more countries willing to put Taiwan in the representative office name as a way to show that they don't need to care about China? Yes. <laughs> My heart tells me yes. But um, as a politician, I must answer that we'll have to see every democratic country makes their own decisions by mm -hmm. themselves. I just can wish and hope for this. So you also mentioned that you want the alliance of democracies to be stronger than, let's say, communism. And do you feel that it is stronger than the communist alliance? Well, um, that's the problem, that uh, probably for many years uh, the world has been too much market-oriented. Well, I understand that market economy is uh, the basis, so, you know, of the world moving. Uh, you know, the money, the goods, etc., uh, mm. etc. Et but then uh, what happens is uh, that sometimes we forget that a certain money is bloody money and it, it's not sustainable and then it damages us a lot in long term. So uh, in that sense, uh, I believe that uh, China's big economic power, uh, them being the second and having such large population, and of course very active, very proactive uh, public relations and advertisement of its power and, and uh, influence and etc., made some countries believe that you know it's kind of you know immovable object that there's nothing to be done about that. But in that sense, what is important to understand. As I said, nobody wants war, nobody wants to move them. We just want to retain our space, our freedom to make our decisions. And in that sense, 
what is happening with Australia, with Lithuania, what happened with Czech Republic earlier, I mean, when we suffered some uh, basically repressive actions by People's Republic of China and other countries stepped in to help and now certain things are changing, uh, new market possibilities are opening, supply chains are being reformed and going you know, the other way so that we are going not the bloody way, but the clean way, that probably is also giving a new perspective to the whole world, that there is no economy without security issues mm -hmm. and that only democratic relations are sustainable. So I think that also changes this uh, view of hegemony of People's Republic of China because uh, decoupling from China is not only not dangerous, but healthy. Mm. It's like, you know, when you drop smoking, you feel like, oh, I cannot do this. It will be so difficult. I won't survive. <laughs> when you actually do this, you understand that you feel much healthier and it was for the better. Mm. Well, I'm curious about the people in your country. Do they all feel the same way about, um, as your leaders do, about Taiwan and China? Or has there been some pushback from the business community who stand to lose uh, some Chinese business? Well, I will tell you openly uh, that Lithuanian society needs to learn more about Taiwan. Uh, what I feel when I am traveling in regions, when I'm talking to people from uh, different communities, that people don't know enough about Taiwan. And when we talk and when I explain uh, the similarities of our history, then they are like, oh, okay, we didn't know that. So that's what I was talking about also yesterday in these wonderful meetings with your president, uh, Prime Minister, Minister on Foreign Affairs, uh, Chairman of National Security Council and others, that actually one of the ways to enhance our cooperation and ensure uh, global stability and security is also to get to know each other more. People-centered approach is very important. So if Taiwan uh, launches certain projects, you know, presence of Taiwanese people would be more intense in Lithuanian society and uh, when the walls are opened and I hope this pandemic really comes to an end or at least it gets better, people of Lithuania, you know, start traveling more to Taiwan and etc. We will really know more. Our society will be more informed and I am hoping that Lithuania might become to Taiwan what Iceland was to Lithuania once. That's so important for us. Support, understanding and true friendship from the heart. So for that, we need to communicate more to each other. Talking about business, uh, as I mentioned, very proactive, sometimes uh, in a hostile way. Actions by People's Republic of China uh, really influence certain businesses to be in the beginning very um, stressed, complaining uh, about uh, certain losses and yes, we did suffer certain losses. We are continuing to suffer certain losses. Minister of Economy would probably happily tell you more in detail what is happening, uh, starting from transit and ending with certain supply chains that are actually damaging us. But then we have more opportunities. Wherever there is a door closed, the window is being opened. So I believe that going in the Indo-Pacific ring not only Taiwan, but also including Japan and Australia and India and uh, other countries and with US market, we have some also new agreements and etc. I mean, we will, we will go through this. We are able to go through this process without losing our values, I think. 
Well, I think it's wonderful what your country is doing for Taiwan, for the world, uh, what you're doing personally as well. I know you stand up for the people who need people to stand up for them, right? You call out the um, abuses of China, and now you're sanctioned by them. Um, how do you feel about being sanctioned by China? Um, yesterday, with uh, your Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, uh, Mr. Wu, uh, we had a really wonderful chat when he said uh, he was really happy to see me and, and uh, he wanted you know, to, for us to have a selfie and he tweeted uh, uh, the selfie uh, tagging me and, and he said, so it's like a coalition of sanctionees. Uh, we should you know, expand this coalition. <laughs> he has a great sense of humor. But openly, uh, of course, it's unfair. I mean, being sanctioned for loving freedom, being sanctioned for standing up for tortured or murdered people is uh, abnormality, it's absurd. Uh, another moment is that PRC sanctions and punishes families of people that we don't like. This is so undemocratic. In democracy, even if a person commits a crime, only this person is punished. Nobody touches the families because it's unfair, unjustified. It's against the rule of law, against fundamental rights. So PRC once again proves that we don't understand democracy, that we don't want democracy, and that they are basically a threat to the global security. So I'm working the second term in National Security and Defense Committee. But for uh, many years, almost two decades, I'm also in fundamental rights. I'm an expert of fundamental rights. And this is where these two meet, because you cannot protect fundamental rights if you are not secure, if you are threatened by authoritarian regimes. At the same time, you have to also respect fundamental rights and cherish your democracy if you don't want to become authoritarian regime. So it's always a challenge for us. It's quite a difficult time that we are living in and I hope we will be able to survive without losing our essence, who we are. Well, you're doing a great job uh, showing the world you know, how to fight for freedom, basically, right? And, protect and the freedom. Protect freedom. Hopefully we don't yes. need to fight, just protect it, just defend it. Uh, we are not on the aggressive, we are not on the offensive. We are just protecting. Is there anything you would like to say to the people of Taiwan? You're here now, and uh, before we end the interview? First of all, thank you. This what? visit has been uh, really a wonder for us. And even though I mentioned the epidemiological issues, because we've got some messages, some people were worried that, you know, um, with these strict regulations, why there is an exception for us. Uh, a very small number of messages. Most of them were very happy. But I want to respond to every concern of Taiwanese people because it's also a pleasure and an honor for me to be here. And thank you for all the hospitality, for the warm welcome also for wonderful, interesting conversations, for exchanging experience and the plans that we are making to learn from each other, to give to each other, and hopefully know, uh, as I saw on a coffee cup yesterday in one of your institutions, I don't remember which it was, and it said that the most enduring love is love between friends. Aww. So that's what I'm hoping for. Let's stay friends forever. That's beautiful. Thank you, Delili. Um, it's been a privilege speaking with you. I've been speaking with member of Lithuanian Parliament, Davile Shakliani, who is here with a delegation of Baltic members of Parliament visiting Taiwan.
You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Thank you so much for tuning in to News Playlist. I'm Shirley Lin, and I'm going to bring you some highlights from reports in the news around Taiwan in this past week. First up, though, we have something on the negative side. Recently, a Taipei lawmaker, Gao Jiayu, she reported her boyfriend for assaulting her, and it's been in the news for quite a few days now. Emma Benek has the story. Since Taipei lawmaker Gao Jiayu reported her boyfriend for assaulting her, people have been demanding that Taiwan take a stronger stance against domestic violence. Advocates for victims of domestic abuse say that society cannot overlook violence hidden within homes and intimate relationships. Lawyer Chen Mengxiu says that the most important thing is for victims to get themselves to safety. If possible, they should try to get pictures and recordings to serve as evidence of abuse and send them to a trusted friend or go directly to the authorities. According to an online survey, 65 percent of people think that domestic abuse is a major issue in Taiwan. While just over 30 percent think it's not a serious problem, advocacy groups say they hope Taiwan will quickly pass new reforms that provide better protection and services for victims of domestic abuse, and eventually break this vicious cycle. Lawmaker Liu Shifang says that there are currently 10 proposals related to domestic abuse under review. Politicians are also considering heavier sentences for abusers. Time is of the essence. Victims of domestic abuse need the full support of Taiwan's government now. Emma Benak, RTI News. Now, with the emergence of the latest uh, COVID-19 variant, Omicron, it is now even more important for Taiwan to vaccinate everyone in the country. And besides giving out additional vaccine doses, you know the government is also working on uh, offering more vaccination sites to make it more convenient for people to get inoculated. The Central Epidemic Command Center has opened the possibility for high-priority groups to receive a third dose of one of the available COVID-19 vaccines. Frontline medical workers will be the first to receive their jabs. Dean of Neurology at Xinguang Hospital Ye Jianhong says that he and his colleagues received the AstraZeneca vaccine in March and April. A lot of them are worried about levels of antibodies falling over time, and in order to help others, they first need to protect themselves. Deputy Director of Xinguang Hospital Hong Zuren says that within two weeks of getting the third shot, levels of protection against COVID-19 go back up to 93 to 94 percent percent. Currently, first dose coverage in Taiwan is around 80 percent, but second dose numbers are lagging behind. To improve them, the central authorities are setting up vaccination stations at markets and department stores, as well as offering prizes to those getting vaccinated. However, Deputy Mayor of Taipei Tsai Bingkun calls this wasteful, suggesting a more targeted approach and administering shots in hospitals instead. In response, Central Epidemic Command Center Director Chen Shizong says that he disagrees with that framing of the issue. Similar measures are in place to encourage influenza vaccinations. He says he respects other people's choices, but there is no need for such negative language. It is possible that vaccination stations may appear along thoroughfares at train and metro stations if there is enough manpower in the healthcare system. Taiwan seems to be willing to try any available measure to increase vaccination coverage rates and make getting a shot as convenient as possible. Tomas Koper, RTI News. You know, we just got a new addition in the family, and that's a cat. 
And so this story really stuck out to me, and uh, it's about this train station in central Taiwan that is seeking the public to name this local stray cat that's going to become the station master. So let's have a listen to this story here. This big yellow cat is snoring away while sleeping at the Jiji train station in Nantou County. Mayor Chen Jiheng adopted the cat and has decided to let the public give the cat a name as a way to celebrate the station's birthday next year. Someone suggests giving a name having to do with the color orange or gold, since Taiwanese people consider orange to be close to the color of gold. Someone else has the idea of lucky tiger, since next year is the year of the tiger according to the Chinese zodiac. Yet another person came up with Jiao Jiao or little banana, since Nanto County is famous for its bananas. One woman even suggested butter, saying the cat has the color of butter, or even bai bai, the color white. The yellow cat will officially become the station master after the Lunar New Year holidays in February. Mayor Chen says that the cat will have its own little house and that tourists will be able to play with it. Chen also says people should be more aware of strays and of the leopard cat, which is an endangered species found in the area. Recently, the Education Ministry released a manual for disabled learners. Let's have a listen to this story by Leslie Liao. Two brothers take the stage, performing a musical medley for the audience. One plays the flute, while the other is on the harp. Both brothers know at least five instruments each. Their performance is part of the introduction ceremony for the Education Ministry's Special Education Manual. Both brothers are autistic. The Education Ministry says there are close to 130,000 students in Taiwan with special education needs. The manual is designed to help such students understand how to navigate the education system. The booklet uses a large font with simple wording to help special education students understand their rights and what resources are available to them. Deputy Education Minister Ling Tengjiao says that the manual is meant to raise awareness and improve accessibility so that students know where to find help if they need it. The manual is available both in a physical and digital format. Leslie Liao, RTI News. Taiwan really has been doing a great job of having no local cases with COVID-19 for over a month now. But it's still pushing hard to improve vaccination coverage of those people who haven't been vaccinated or who needs to get their second dose. Whatever. Authorities are saying that with the emergence of this new variant of the virus, Omicron, Omicron, I, I get it wrong, Om Omicron, these efforts are really so important. Tomasz Kaper has the report. A healthcare worker invites shoppers to line up for a COVID vaccine. Yes, it's shoppers, not patients this time. All across Taiwan, vaccination stations are appearing at supermarkets and other public spaces outside of hospitals. Many seem to like the idea, saying that it's going to make it more convenient for the elderly since there is no need to make an appointment in advance. PX Smart spokesperson says between 140 and 150 locations in Taiwan are hoping to provide this kind of public service. Qingfu Hospital Director Wang Jionglang says that his hospital already sent out 12 people and prepared enough doses for 200 patients. Convenience in getting a shot is especially important to those workers who are officially required to get vaccinated before the end of the year. This includes teachers, cram school instructors, karaoke parlor staff and care workers for the elderly.
Health Minister Chen Shizong says that vaccinations aren't compulsory, but those who refuse will have to provide negative test results. Local authorities are finding their own ways to encourage vaccinations. In Taiwan's southern county of Jiayi, every person who receives a shot also gets two bags of rice. Meanwhile, Pingdong residents receive 500 dollars or 18 US dollars together with their jab. This seems to have had the desired effect as people have been lining up long before the vaccination centers opened. Whether it's setting up more stations, removing the need to book ahead, or providing extra perks like rice or cash, authorities are pulling out all the stops to get people protected from COVID-19. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. Sadly, Taiwan has low labor pensions for its retirees, and it's less than the average monthly expenses for each person in Taiwan. Well, I have to report for you. Let's have a listen. Some people were asked how much pension they get after retirement. This woman says $4,980, another woman says 17000 and her husband 20000 But that's not enough to spend in a month for the nearly 1 million out of 1.5 million retired individuals. Last year, statistics showed that the average monthly expenses for a person in Taiwan was a little more than $23,000. Liu Xiuling of the Bureau of Labor Insurance said that one of the reasons for the low pensions is the low number of years of insurance coverage, resulting in low pension rates. Liu said another reason could be that the person took the pension in advance, therefore receiving less than what you could get if you waited until retirement age. She said it could also be that the person started working later in life or held jobs on and off, resulting in a decreased pension rate. A job bank suggests that people should start saving now or start early on some form of investment funds or buy long-term care insurance to guarantee a happy retirement. There is a festival uh, called the Wangye Festival which takes place once every three years in Pingdong County. It's a festival to worship, well, Wang Ye, who is a god who controls evil spirits. Let's have a listen to the story by Emma Benek. The triennial Wang Ye Festival kicked off in Pingdong County's Donggang on Friday, and the party continued throughout the weekend. Tourists came from far and wide to take part in the rare ceremonies. The Wang Ye Festival has been around for centuries and is meant to worship Wang Ye, a god who controls evil spirits. The festival centers around building and burning a boat for Wang Ye as a sacrifice. Many people also wanted to celebrate by taking a boat from Donggang to the beautiful island of Xiaoliuqiu. The manager of one of the boat companies said that the number of tourists coming back and forth from the island exceeded 20,000 over the weekend. He said this was a record-breaking number. A local man who had moved to Taichung for work said that he initially planned on asking his employer for three days off from work to attend the ceremonies. In the end, being back at home on Xiaoliuqiu made him decide to quit the job entirely. Many people commented on how lively the atmosphere was, not seeming to mind so much about the crowds, long lines, and lack of parking spots. These lines were not for the faint of heart. Visitors said that they had to wait for hours before being able to board the boats to Xiaoliuqiu. Still, the Wang Ye Festival was a spectacle unlike any they had seen before, and one that won't be back for another three years. Emma Banak, RTI News. This last story took place some time ago, but we had this major drug bust on Taiwan proper. It was record-breaking drug bust. Let's have a listen to that story from John Van Trieste. 
It was an astonishing haul, more than 446 kilograms of high-purity heroin. Police on Taiwan's outlying islands have netted more in the past, but on the island of Taiwan itself, this was a record-breaking drug bust. The drugs were smuggled into Taiwan from Thailand's Golden Triangle, hidden inside a shipment of lumber. In total, the contraband was worth nearly 180 million U.S. dollars and could have supplied 5 million drug users. But New Taipei police got wind of the smuggling operation and raided the warehouse where the drugs were being kept on October 21st. On Wednesday, Premier Su Zengchang went to New Taipei to heap praise on the officers behind the raid. They've put seven members of the smuggling ring behind bars. But the ring leader managed to escape to China before he could be caught. And with the icy state of cross-strait ties, it's anyone's guess whether Beijing will respond to calls to respect a cross-strait crime-fighting agreement and bring the fugitive ringleader to justice. John Van Trieste, RTI News. And that wraps up this week's news playlist. I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you'd like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International. And you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. And if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into 6100 kilohertz from 1600 to 1700 UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on 15320 kilohertz from 0300 to 0400 UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at english at rti.org.tw. Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International. Music